0: And welcome to another podcast where we talk about corset sewing and other lively stuff uh, for today's topic, I wanted to discuss copyright and specifically pattern copyright and not a lot of people are very well versed in this topic, and there's a lot of misconceptions and myths floating around on the interwebs. so I wanted to address it, but before we get into that stuff, I definitely want to emphasize I'm not a lawyer this is not um Legal advice, and you should definitely check out the laws and regulations in your own state or the country where the pattern is sourced from. That's going to play a very big role in what rules are applied to the pattern that you're going to use. So let's start off with the basic idea of a copyright and intellectual property. Uh, If you've been on YouTube for a longer time, you might have noticed that there is a lot of talk and a lot of problems with copyright and copyright strikes. That type of stuff. Uh, Because um, a lot of music and sounds are a property of someone else. Someone else created it, and then maybe they have let other people use it as well. But we also have the algorithm and automatic system that kind of tracks the uh, sounds and uh, intellectual property materials and kind of flags them and matches them up with someone else's, um, well, copyright, um, claim. So that is a very hot topic here on the internet, here on YouTube, and one of the reasons why I do not have any type of music, or any type of, like, memes, or anything like that, I'm not touching that, like, steaming pile of shit right now. Not, not right now. I do not want to get my content removed because, I don't know, a clip from the internet of a whole jingle for music has flagged my video and removed it because I was breaking someone else's copyright and um, kind of misusing their intellectual property. So I'm not doing that. And that is one of the reasons why there is no music. I'm pretty sure you can just like pop on whatever you prefer to listen to and have a much greater time when listening to me as well. So there's that. And that is kind of like the most um, well-known topic when it comes to copyright. It's usually music, it's sound, it's video, and um, video game as well. Footage and sound and uh, characters too. So when it comes to patterns, that is, um, well, garment patterns in particular, and corset patterns as well. Uh, That is a different topic because it is not an artistic endeavor, really. It is not a artistic uh, kind of, like, creation. It's more of a practical uh, item. So the copyright protection is a bit different, especially if we look at the USA uh, laws. Um, In the um, American, and when I say American, I mean the United States of America, not the fucking continent, okay, but I will going to refer to it as America. Uh, Anyways, uh, when it comes to American law on the um, patterns, garment patterns and uh, copyright uh, on them, uh, they have very, very little to no protection since they have, um, they kind of fall under the specific law of it being a very useful item. And there is a, a limited amount of shapes that you can make a fucking collar in, you know? Or a cut of a dress, or a length of a dress, or, or, you know, uh, there is not a lot that can be very artistic and very new and very unique. And if we uh, kind of gave different people, uh, the authors and pattern creators, the right, exclusive right, on a specific type of a garment, uh, we would be limiting the um, garment making industry significantly it would be stupid uh, like a very small amount of people would have the every right that you can imagine over every garment ever created essentially because you you really cannot make new stuff up when it comes to the human body and it being practical we can like do some impractical stuff and call it very artistic and it could be a wearable sculpture but when it comes to very practical garments There's a limited amount of things you can do with garments to make them unique. So, there's that. Uh, When we think about corset patterns, they fall under garments, and there really isn't a lot of protection. You have the protection of the pictures, diagrams, and the um, text that comes with the envelope or the pattern itself. Something that can be uniquely yours or your interpretation of the Um, design that you've created for that specific pattern, but when it comes to the pattern, even though it's a drawing, when we look at it, a pattern is a drawing, it is essentially a set of uh, instructions on how to create something else. So the uh, American law doesn't really give you uh, any rights as a pattern drafter, as the original creator of the pattern, to dictate what Other people can do and cannot do with the garments created based on your pattern. Also, there is um, a a lot of freedom when it comes to how much of the pattern or a design when it comes to um, garment design and fashion design, how much of the design can be changed to make it uniquely yours under the law. It's like 10 or 15 percent, something like very small. Um, So, You can do a bit of a change, and it's essentially a new thing. And it makes sense, because how many button positions can you make so they actually make sense and they're actually functional? There are some standards that actually just fucking work, and you do not try to reinvent them. And those things cannot be copyrighted or really patented. When it comes to patents, you can patent a very, very specific set of things. And that is also for a limited time where you're going to have the exclusive right to create that specific thing. When it comes to fashion, you might have heard about the case of, um, Le Breton, the, um, fancy schmancy uh, shoes that have the red heel. Well, they wanted to copyright the red heel. You cannot do that. The court was essentially like laughing in their faces because you cannot copyright, um, and protect a, red generally red soles so the closest they could get is um they copyrighted or patented i'm not sure on the details right there um a specific shade of red which is like the Louboutin shade of the red sole but you can make other shoes that have some different shade of red soles and not like break anyone's copyright You might have some problems um, with people being, well, that's a ripoff, that's a dupe, that's a plagiarism. But under the rule of law, it's not the same thing because it's very, very general. A red sole is very general. So if it's the specific shade, that's another thing. Now back to the patterns and the... uh, patterns, uh, copyright, and all that stuff. When it comes to the European Union, and specifically UK as well, there is kind of um, something new brewing on. For now, there hasn't been a lot of protection over the patterns. But now um, you get the automatic copyright protection for maximum of five years since the um, pattern has been created. Also, UK has kind of been Looking into and trying to push the idea that the pattern drafter can actually uh, limit the user of what they can and cannot do with the garments they create based on the pattern and how many um, pieces they can actually make. But as I've said, that is um, a limitation of three to five years. If you go and do um, like a certificate or something like that, you can actually push the copyright protection for longer, like. 15 years, something like that. Definitely do not quote me on that. Check it out for yourself. That's the best thing you can do. But anyways, that is a very, very short amount of time. It is limited and it makes sense. So let's get back to what is very, very important for corsets and corset patterns. Okay, so (sighs) antique corset patterns are public domain simply because the creators of the um, patterns have been long gone, they're they're dead, it's been a long time since they were created. That includes the patterns that have been lifted off of extant uh, examples, or like, you know, the surviving antique garments, so if you buy an antique corset itself, and then you lift the pattern from it, you do not have the copyright claim on that pattern that is not your intellectual property it just isn't you're not the original creator of it you can control the um distribution of the um copy that you made that you lift it off of the garment itself but you do not have the right on that p- particular pattern it is not yours so there's that uh, and that comes to uh the topic of and take corset patterns in books. Such as corsets and crinolines and corsets technique stuff by Jill Sellen and Nora Woe and all of that stuff. You've seen them, you know them, you probably have them. So the patterns in there uh, are actually free for, um, you know, taking. Patterns themselves are not the intellectual property or, of Nora Woe or Jill Sellen or even the museums that actually have them in their collection. Uh, The patterns are the intellectual property of the original creators that have been long dead, and it's been a very long time it it passed. So you can definitely use them. Uh, You can use them, resize them, grade them, repackage them, sell them. You can do essentially whatever you want with them. The same way you can do with a picture of Mona Lisa. That is um, a classic that is in the public domain, and anyone can essentially use it, recreate it, remake it. You just cannot say, like, I made this, because no one's going to believe you you made the Mona Lisa. <laughs> but maybe someone's going to believe you that you made one of the um, antique corset patterns that can be found in Voges or Jill sellen's book, for example. But, like, you shouldn't really do that. that. That is... First off, it's a dick move. Second off, like, that's just not true. That's a lie. But you can definitely recreate it, make it, and uh, sell it if you want to. You can make as many corsets as you want from it. Um, you can make books with it, your own books with it. You just uh, cannot use the pictures, diagrams, or the text portions of uh, Norwo, Jill Salen, whatever the author is of the books. Those are there, copyrighted. Uh, intellectual property examples. So you cannot do that, but you can repurpose, redraft, and reuse the pattern itself. It's a separate thing. Same goes when taking a picture of a pattern diagram, for example. If you take a photo of a pattern, for example, in a supposed, I don't know, pattern book, you know, a book of corset patterns. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one some other time. Uh, you do not hold the copyright of the pattern itself, only the picture. So the fi... Oh. yes. <laughs> so if the picture is not used, but you just use the pattern itself that is on the picture, um, you're not breaking any um, copyright laws, uh, you're not um, stealing their intellectual property, since their intellectual property is on the photograph itself not the piece in the photograph so there's that it would be the same um if the photograph was of a garment for example housed in a museum the author of the photograph has every right on the photograph so you cannot use that without their without their permission but you can definitely recreate the garment in that photograph no questions asked so it's the same principle that is how it works So that's something to think about. Um, I want to uh, make my stance on uh, pattern copyright very clear on what I believe and what I practice with my own patterns, because I do draft a lot of corset patterns and I do give them for free. And the only limitation is you cannot sell them. I want them to be absolutely free. You cannot claim that you made them, of course, like that's mine. Um, that's, That's pretty much it, I think. You cannot, no, you can do that. Yeah, that that's pretty much it. You can make as many garments as you want. You can sell them. You can burn them. I don't really care what you do with the garments that you make. I truly, fully believe that just because you've used one of my patterns doesn't give me the right to dictate to you what you can do and cannot do with your work. Because that is your work. You just use one of the parts um in your creation to create it. That is mine. That would be absolutely ludicrous for like i don't know makers of lace to dictate what you can and cannot do with the garment that you pl- placed a like a little bit of lace on it or like rhinestones or fabric or uh, that part doesn't make any sense to me and it's basically um a rough attempt of trying to make the uh, businesses of pattern drafters and creators uh, a bit more easier because you're kind of forced to go back and buy from them again so that should help their business in some perverted way in their mind but in the end it doesn't do that it really doesn't we have um big companies like burda vogue uh simplicity and others that have been in business for and um many small shops big shops use their patterns to create garments and sell them and they haven't been going around trying to dictate to people what they cannot cannot do with their patterns most of the time you have the little um line written on a pattern envelope you can only make like 10 pieces maximum but when it comes to usa or america um that doesn't hold true under the law at all because you do not have that power as the author of the pattern to dictate to your customers what they can and cannot do especially because they haven't like um written um a contract with you at all they bought the damn thing and then they got it and then this says like well you cannot do more than 10 pieces like well that's after the fact isn't it So there wasn't an agreement before the purchase was made, and usually that just doesn't hold any water when it comes to, like, any lawsuits. Um, Also you have to keep in mind that there is um, a very interesting idea that, um, well, you shouldn't rip off other people's designs, and um, that is really, really hard to define. And we can see that in the fashion industry when it comes to design. Uh, We have the runway um, examples, models, all that stuff, big brands, like very, very um, big fashion houses with their specific designs and sticks and all that stuff. And the um, most of their creations are actually ripped off and copied and remade and reimagined and sold for um in smaller shops well smaller shops uh cheaper shops such as um h m Barshka c n a all of that stuff uh and they're not suing because they, it just wouldn't be um profitable for them it would be a loss, it would be a lot of time spent a lot of money wasted, and the outcome of the loss would be very very unpredictable you wouldn't be sure if you would win or wouldn't and what the case, what case can be made for it, especially because you can like change it a bit for like a small part, and then it's like yours or your interpretation of it. Like When are you inspired and when it's like a blatant copy? And one of the reasons so many big brands have their logo slapped and plastered all over the garments that they make is because a logo is um, protected differently. It's like a trademark and something like that. And you cannot copy someone else's logo that is like blatant. That is like very, very uh, simple case to do, like black on white. You just cannot um, copy someone else's logo. And that is why we have Louis Vuitton with the LV and like the, the small flowers all over the place. Like you only get items that have that shit on them. And that is kind of what they became what they became recognizable for. So if you copy that, you have to copy their design, their logo, and then you're like, dude, dude, come on, that's a copy. But then again, they're not even selling that because like it's still not profitable. They are definitely oriented towards their new collection, new designs, new ideas, new products, and like catering to the customer base that they actually have. Because the people that are going to buy knockoffs are not their customer base. And they don't really care about those people. I am I know it might sound harsh, but it makes sense. Why focus on people that are not interested in your stuff? You should definitely focus in, um the customers and the potential customers that would be interested in your stuff, that actually love your shit. So that's what big brands do. And I think that is something we should do as well as small creators and makers and maybe hobbies that aspire to become uh, businesses themselves. So that's kind of like my two cents on the topic. As I said, uh, this is not legal advice. I kind of just wanted to put in the perspective some of the usual myths that we hear. You cannot do this, you cannot do that, you can only do 10 pieces because it said so on the envelope. Well, you can write anything you want on the packaging. You can, like, yeah, pretty much anything. We have very, very loose regulations when it comes to that stuff, when it comes to claims, and when you have, like, um, improvement in 90% of women, and the sample is, like, five of them, and it was a subjective, uh, their opinion of did their Im- the product improve their life or not. Like, yeah, you can do stuff like that. So you can write pretty much anything, on the packaging, and it's probably going to, like, do what you want it to do. In this case, it's kind of to scare people uh, to not um, use the pattern more, and they have to go back and buy it if they want to use it again and again and again. Since the patterns themselves are kind of not that expensive, we can definitely think about, well, if you have made more than 10 pieces of the same pattern, and you've sold them, like, spending $20 to repurchase it again, it's basically nothing for you because you made such a great profit on the pattern itself through your business. That, well, it's essentially, you know, just like you would buy a box of pins or something. It's it's um, perishable um, material um, that you use, perishable supply or something. But then again, like, it's not true. It is th- what it says on the envelope, it's probably not true. And you should definitely check it out before you just blindly believe it. And when it comes to uh, antique patterns and the uh, idea you cannot like, do that and you cannot make a new book based upon them and all that stuff, like, it's just like you're being mean based on your personal opinion and lack of um, information. And I don't think that is very good or nice or positive. So I would be uh, much more uh, interested in um, having people uh, just kind of research the topic more and get used to it, get get it like um, get more educated about it, instead of just accepting something because someone said it on the internet. Because there's a lot of blogs claiming, "Oh, you cannot do that." Like really, put me a law on that, please. It's nowhere there. It's just like what they believe should happen because they are coming from a kind of a moral standpoint. Well, I deserve and not really from a legal standpoint. And that is um mess of regulations and laws. And it becomes even like more chaotic when it comes to international um, things. And it's just, wow, you should look at it. You really, really should. Um, That's pretty much it for today's podcast. I know this is like a weird topic, it's controversial, but it's heavy, but like it's very emotional at the same time and you want to be a good person and like be fair, but they say at the same time you're trying to be fair to whom? To the customer, to the user of pattern, to the pattern maker, like how do you balance all of that stuff? Where is the line between, you know, getting inspired and just like fucking just copying it like button by button? Well, when you copy it button by button, there's really no line. You just like cost it by a mile or something. But you know what I'm saying. So I would like to hear your opinions about this topic yourself. Uh, What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? Uh, What do you know? Uh, Did I say something that's like blatantly wrong? I would like to get educated on it more because um, my information sources are kind of limited. I do not have the resources to pay for legal counseling to give you more um, solid information on it. So I would love, love, love to hear from you. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed today's little uh, ramble and rant and talk. Um, If you've liked it, thumbs it up, you know, subscribe and all of that stuff. Um, Till next time, to lose hugs and kisses, everybody. Bye-bye.